This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I want to welcome you to this episode of Real Talk. In just a second, Dr. Rapinder Tour joins us. Uh, she's behind a petition. It's, it's a bigger picture project. Project Empower Her uh, with the H-E-R end. Empower Her. We're going to be talking about contraception, birth control in Canada. Should it be free? You may have an opinion one way or another, or you may not. I mean, how much do you actually know about the history of birth control in Canada uh, to generalize in big, wide swipes, I would suggest that the female members of our audience probably know more about it than the dudes. Just a fact. Uh, we're kind of known, generally speaking, for being a little bit clueless on some stuff. Not all of us. Some of you will write in, I'm sure, and say, I've, I've taken leadership in this. I've been an advocate for this. I understand the issues. I didn't know up until a short time ago, up until we started doing some background research for this conversation that birth control wasn't even legal in Canada through the 1960s. Dr. Tour is a medical director out of Calgary, the Northeast Women's Clinic and the IUD, and she's got a, a, a long history in this, a, a, a very informed background to her advocacy, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. Plus some updates on news stories you've no doubt seen, including a man arrested and charged after a hate-motivated attack, a horrific confrontation targeting a Muslim family in our home city of Edmonton. We're going to get to those details, and we're going to review what some of you have told us about Canada's cost-of-living crisis. It popped up yesterday in our interview with Tristan Hopper, talking about why he thinks that the Conservatives are surging federally, you know, numbers-wise, polling-wise, but there's more to it than that. It's not just the politics, and that's a story that we're going to continue to dig into in the weeks and months to come. Uh, this episode of Real Talk is presented by Business Career College. Did you know that certified financial planners are starting at six-figure salaries in Canada and the demand for them is growing fast? You can become a CFP with Business Career College. You could launch your own business, earn great money, and help people achieve their financial goals. Business Career College is the absolute best place to get your CFP to become a certified financial planner with online courses, expert instructors to help you through, and decades of experience helping students succeed. You can learn more. Get the ball rolling today at businesscareercollege.com. Well, there's a petition uh, right now available to be signed, and we're going to link to that in our show notes if this is a conversation that resonates with you. Uh, it's it's initiated by our leadoff guest this morning, Dr. Rapinder Tour out of Calgary. It's asking the federal government to make birth control free in Canada. Dr. Tour is the medical director with the IUD and Northeast Women's Clinic in Calgary and the chief medical officer with Project Empower. And it's a real pleasure to have you join us here this morning on the show. Thanks for making time for us. 
Hi, Ryan. I'm so excited to be here. And I'm really excited to bring men into this conversation. I feel like, you know, they have been not included historically. And I think they're an important partner in this initiative. I'm so happy that you that you lead off with that because I've got some questions for you. And and amongst those questions is, do you consider this a women's health issue? And I've been privy to some really interesting conversations. And obviously it's not just a women's health issue, but why don't we talk about how this has been viewed or how this has been treated in Canada through the decades? Yeah, I mean, historically, because, you know, obviously women are the ones that actually bear the reproduction. It seems like, you know, a lot of... um, that responsibility has fallen on their shoulders. But I think, you know, we've evolved as a society to really realize that, you know, there are actually, you know, two partners involved and we need everyone involved. I think reproduction is something that doesn't just affect women. It affects individuals, it affects families, it affects society. So I think this is, it's not a women's issue. It's not necessarily a men's issue alone. It's not a youth issue alone. It's a human issue because it affects all of us. Yeah, for sure. And and I'm sure that there are a ton of compelling arguments, which I bet that you're going to make right here on this episode uh, for this to be something that is treated as a societal issue, much like other health care is across the country. Why don't, why don't we talk with just sort of a scene setter, if you could, about uh, the situation right now in Canada with access to birth control? Maybe, maybe kind of a quick history lesson, if you don't mind. My understanding is it was decriminalized just before 1970. That's not forever ago. Um, and even today, present day, a lot of people, uh, for various reasons, just don't have access to it. Yeah, I mean, I think the history of birth control is so interesting. It's one of the few things that I think it's really underrecognized and under-celebrated as far as how much it's helped our society sort of move forward. So as you mentioned, you know, birth control in Canada was illegal up until 1969. So it was just decriminalized just over 50 years ago. So we actually haven't been doing this for a long time. So we're trying to get it right. I think, you know, we're obviously making um, moves forward. Um, But, you know, just for your listeners, I think they might be surprised to know, number one, that birth control is not actually free, you know, so, you know, access to a doctor is covered under universal health care. So my patients can access me without any kind of cost barriers. But once I write that prescription, you know, they now have to bear the cost of how much it's going to cost to fill that prescription. Um, And, you know, I really do see birth control as a public health issue. Um, You know, at least 90% of sexually active couples are not planning pregnancy. So, you know, that's a pretty significant number of of people in our society. And if we don't get contraception, the consequences are pretty significant. We know that without birth control, a woman can be expected to have 10 to 15 pregnancies in her lifetime. That is from developing countries where they don't have any access. Um, And so that's what we're up against, right? So we need to do something. Um, You know, 40% of pregnancies in Canada are unintended, right? One in five pregnancies in Canada ends in an abortion. So I think there's lots of room for improvement. I think, you know, you know, if we really want to sort of make sure we help the health of our society, prevention is always going to be better. Um, You know, unintended pregnancies cost Canadian taxpayers $320 million a year. Um, and that's just direct healthcare costs. That's not including any kind of social subsidies for people who are having pregnancies when they're not intending them, but now they need support of, you know, society to help sort of to raise that child. Um, and keep in mind, you know, when I'm telling you all these statistics, you know, these are stories with the tears removed, right? I see these stories every single day in my clinic. And this is what's really driven me to sort of go and advocate for my patients. You know, there's so many times where I have conversations with them and they're, you know, these young women and girls, they're trying to do their best to, you know, live that life of self-determination. And 
control of reproduction is really the first step because oftentimes with a vulnerable, you know, life is something that happens to me. I don't get to choose what happens. And oftentimes pregnancy is something that just happens to me. I don't get to choose it. And we want to change that narrative. And it's through contraception that that can happen, but there can't be any barriers because the people who really, you know, don't want to be pregnant or, or can't afford the medicines are the ones that really don't want to be pregnant and would really, it would really affect their lifestyles. And so you see this cycle of poverty that sometimes keeps continuing. Um, and that's what's really driven my work is some of the patients that I've seen and some of their stories. And, you know, we just need, to, I think we can do better as a country and we can do better for, for our, for our, for our women, girls and for our families and our societies. Yeah. Sometimes these, these uh, sort of like, I don't know if I would go so far as to call it an epiphany, but, but it's not lost on me that we're talking to you about this uh, in the midst of other ongoing conversations on the show about things like the cost of living crisis, about people, families and individuals making very difficult decisions about where their money's going about unemployment up, about utility costs through the roof. I mean, this all factors into it. Just curious, off the top of my head, have you have you been able to, you and your team, ballpark a figure of what it might look like in, in the federal budget? I mean, I guess technically this would also come down to the provinces, wouldn't it, right? Like this, this, right. this is a healthcare initiative. So some provinces may be more down with this than others. But if we say that unintended or unintentional pregnancies, uh, you know, cost the Canadian public, $320 million a year, what would it cost, so to speak, uh, to eliminate cost barriers for, for birth control? Yeah, I mean, you know, the what I like to call this policy, it's really an irresistible policy because the benefits are just, you know, across the board. So first of all, we talk about free birth control. Your listeners might be thinking, oh, like, well, how much is that going to cost us now? Right. And that's a really valid question. Right. We have decisions we need to make as taxpayers as to where we want to put our money. But, you know, the great thing about this policy is that it has been shown. Studies have shown this time and time again. B.C. passed this based on the same data is that every dollar that we invest in universal contraception can save the system up to nine dollars in the public sector. And so that's looking at direct healthcare costs of an in unintended pregnancy. That's just looking at, you know, the doctor's visit, the delivery, the postpartum visit. Um, but that also can include things like childcare or cost to the justice system as well. So, you know, it really does save money. So economically, it is a sound policy, right? So if we're just going to look at it from that perspective, it really does make sense. So really from that sense. But I think, you know, what we're really talking about too, it's the social benefits, right? We can see that how access to birth control that was equitable and secure, you know, can really help to strengthen individuals and families and societies, right? So there's a huge social benefit. When I see, you know, a young woman who's facing an unplanned pregnancy, and her life is now going to be significantly changed, how do we measure the cost of her untapped potential? Like her life now has significantly, maybe now her access to education, her access to economic security is going to be, you know, compromised, maybe, you know, living the life that she wants, her happiness factor is going to be compromised, right? So I think, you know, there's that social sort of benefit. And the reason that we're pushing for you mentioned, you know, uh, you know, healthcare is, is typically under the provincial jurisdiction. Why are we pushing this at a federal level? And it's simply that reproductive rights are human rights, and they cannot be left to the whim of changing provincial government. So every four years, depending on what ideology of the government that gets in, that human right is going to be up for negotiation. And that doesn't seem right or fair. And so I think as women, and as men who love women, and as, you know, people who see where the strength in our society is going to come when all members of our society are doing well, you know, that we really need to have 
this at a federal level because it needs to be protected at a federal level. The other, you know, thing that we're finding now within Canada is there's inequities that are starting to rise up. You know, there is going to be a report that's going to be published later in September, but looking at inequities across Canada for access to reproductive care. And so BC obviously passes policy in um, in April. And so in that province, any any person with a healthcare card and a prescription can go to the pharmacy and get the prescription and birth control covered with no cost. And since April, we have seen that the demand has skyrocketed in that province. So, you know, we have a great little pilot project that shows us, yes, that this is a successful program that, you know, cost really is an issue. Um, and so, you know, we really want to push it at the federal level. And the other reason, I mean, we talk about, you know, reproductive rights being human rights and sometimes we get complacent you know we get comfortable where we are but all we need to do is just look south of the border and we see that today in real time these rights are being access to you know reproductive care is being restricted in the u.s they are making policies to make that more and more difficult and they're not the only country right there's just something that's sort of happening across the world so i think you know we need to sort of define ourselves as canadians and who are we and you know and and sort of put that into our policies um, and the other way I think that, you know, for federally, then again, like, how will we implement this? I think that might be the other sort of next big question, um, you know, is that your listeners, again, may be surprised to hear that Canada is one of the only countries um, in the world that has universal health care, but does not have a pharmacare program. And so that gap that I talked about where, you know, people can access the doctor, that is equitable. But the minute they leave my clinic and they have a prescription in their hand, their access to that medicine is now not equitable. And so pharmacare is going to try and address that. And of course, that is a long term project. And we understand it's going to take some time to, you know, unroll. But this government has promised pharmacare to its to Canadians. Um, and so we feel coverage of contraception would be a very important and symbolic first step of that pharmacare program. And, and that could be implemented quickly, right? So, you know, within a year or two, we could have this. Um, well, and you could have a federal government too, like not to, I mean, I, you know, I know you're like obviously a medical expert and a celebrated and award-winning one at that. I kind of cut your intro, your bio a little bit short and introduce you. you got this like long list of all these honors and maybe I'll do that when we thank you for your time so people know who they've been hearing from. But, but my point being is I, I'd love to get into the politics of it a little bit with you as well. This is more like your personal opinion. Um, so, so enter that conversation as you see fit or to the degree that you're comfortable, but it, I could see a federal government right now that's lagging in the polls, that's looking for support that quite frankly is screwed if they lose the prop up support of the NDP. And this sounds to me like a pretty good and doable first step that even if you're just being selfish and just being a political strategist, it seems like something that's doable. Dr. Tour, I appreciate that, that you're not just making this about the money because the money's relevant and budgets are relevant, but that's not it. I mean, just even look at the name of the project and we've punched the link into our live chat. It'll be in the show notes on the podcast and on YouTube, but project empower.ca slash our vision. You can check it out. You write about empowering girls and individuals with the reproductive life plan. You, you, the, the site talks about how empowered girls and individuals are more likely to get educated, experience economic stability, take better care of those around them in the future. They become strong social citizens who in turn empower the next generation. When girls, women and individuals do well, we all do well. Uh, where, where do you gauge public opinion on this? Like, do you think the average person yeah. goes, yeah, I'm OK with it. I don't know much about it. I mean, do you have people that are like, you know, vociferously opposing it? 
Yeah, I mean, those are all really great questions. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> so um, the first thing I'm going to say, you know, I've seen that, you know, where societies do well is where women do well. And I say that in the, in the traditional way, in the sense that women, you know, biologically and socially have been wired to take care of others. So if you take care of the people in that community that take care of others, you are going to see the benefits, right? Um, and so, you know, that I think is is something that just a very high level we can sort of think about, right? So, you know, uh, where we, so I feel like women are one of the most untapped and uncelebrated and unrecognized, you know, natural resources available to society, right? You have a society of women that feel good, that feel empowered. They are going to give so much, not only to their families, their neighbors, their communities, their workplaces. So, I mean, that's a very high level talk. Um, but as a sort of, you know, to answer your question about, you know, political strategy, and if there's any political strategist listening to this, I'm going to tell you, this is an extremely popular policy. There was a study that came out that showed that 83% of Canadians support, uh, approve of free prescription birth control across the country, and 7 in 10 feel it's an urgent issue. Um, you know, the support even amongst, you know, so that support was seen regardless of sort of age, gender, education, community size, if they lived rural or urban, um, or even their parental status. You know, and even amongst political sort of voters of all three uh, federal parties, right, the support was even the lowest was 75%. Um, and so I would urge all political federal parties to include this in their platform, because there's huge support for this, right? How can we get 83% of Canadians to agree on anything, I think is phenomenal, right? So, um, and the fact that it's an urgent issue, you know, people are seeing what's happening around the world. So I would, I would encourage all of the federal parties to include this in their platform, because if they don't, they're going to be missing out on one policy that seems like it's unifying the whole country, because, you know, we can all have our ideas about, you know, how we want to move forward, you know, with, with respect, let's say, to energy or housing or immigration, like all of those things. But this is something that we can all get behind. And again, it doesn't matter, you know, the age of the voter, the gender of the voter, the political you know, affiliation of that voter. This is a very, very, you know, popular policy across the board. What is it, do you think, that stood in the way? Like, like, why was why wasn't it? Why was it criminalized until 1969? Is it is it the power of religion? I mean, is it that simple? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have to think about sometimes when we think about where we are today and we look back historically, we have to put all that stuff into context, sure. right? There was a context that was happening. And when we look at, you know, even the civil rights movement, human rights, like, you know, we have been doing phenomenal work, you know, just in the last hundred years. Like, and so I know we're not there, we're not there at perfection, but it's going to take efforts like this to really get people involved. Um, and I do want to talk a little bit about the petition because really this is the main avenue or the main venue where the public gets to vote or gets to put their word in, right? So because this policy has been talked about, it's been talked about at provincial levels, federal levels, like I've heard this in conversations, different political parties in different provinces, you know, tabling this, um, the Alberta NDP did talk about it here too. So, you know, this has been going on, this is conversation has been happening. But what we really need to think about is, you know, where are we as a society, right? And where do we want to be? And I think, you know, I think we're due for a policy like this, right? When we look at a policy that's helped, you know, women sort of, you know, just equal the playing field for them, just not to put these barriers of cost for them to live this life of self-determination that people who don't can't get pregnant don't have to bear or often aren't involved with, right? That's something to really think about. Um, and 
So I, I lose my train of thought sometimes. Oh, you and so me both, Doc. You, you and me both. Thankfully, I have a million things to say. So I'll jump in here. We'll, I mean, I'm just taking a look at our live chat. And uh, obviously, people are, are very engaged in this subject and, and, and people from all types of backgrounds and all situations. Anna says, my grandmother was not allowed to use birth control for religious reasons after 12 children, including three sets of twins. Uh, she yeah. secretly started taking birth control provided by a neighbor. Uh, if not yeah. for her resilience, uh, she was a, a teacher in a one-room country school who, who used the classroom to raise her kids while earning a living. Sounds like a remarkable person. Uh, Anna yeah. says she would have been nothing more than free labor for their farm. Um, yeah, pretty interesting. I mean, every, every, there's there's so many stories like that, to say the least. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think we're evolving as a society when it comes to these things, you know. And so again, like when I started to really research this, like I started to work in in a higher needs area, you know, more sort of you know vulnerable populations, and I started to see this pattern that you know most of my patients were at risk for an unintended pregnancy, and I started to say, okay, well, what can we do to do better? And when I started to delve into this stuff, I was really surprised to find out things like that. Like even as a doctor, I did not know that birth control was illegal up until 1969. That was something that I found out as I sort of delved into this history. Um, so I think we've made great strides. You know, we look at, you know, the right to vote for women was only in 1919, right? So that wasn't that long ago. You know, abortion was legalized in 1969. But when we look at sort of a policy that is going to really, you know, help us as, you know, sort of equal the playing field, I think a policy like this will be historic in Canada. I think it will be as far as a one of the most progressive policies for reproductive rights and gender equity in this country. And I think we're due for one, right? I think the time has come. And I, I always say that there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. And huh. I think, you know, economically it's come, social, you know, benefits has come. So I think, you know, we're getting to that point that this is really important. Um, Dr. Rapinder Tour is our guest out of Calgary. Uh, she's the chief medical officer for Project Empower. Do you think that the developments stateside um, are uh, potentially you know, creating more support for this campaign than may, may have otherwise been the case. Like when you see kind of the makeup of the U.S. Supreme Court right now, you see where some of the in particular, some of the southern states are going outlying abortions. It's obviously become a, a very significant issue in the U.S. Do you get the sense that that has almost a, a ripple effect up in Canada? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we need to look at that, right? And, you know, pay attention. It's very concerning. When it comes to human rights, it is very concerning because, you know, a like the, some of the things that are happening in the U.S., what I feel, and again, this is my personal opinion, right, is that the women who have the resources and the money are still going to be able to access it. So really, what this policy is about is about, you know, the people in poverty keeping them in poverty because the people who don't have the resources are going to be now destined or sentenced to have unintended pregnancy after unintended pregnancy. Um, and with that, you lose agency over your own life, right? So, you know, I think it's really concerning. I think it's something that our, you know, listeners really need to be thinking about. And so, you know, I don't think it's radical what we're talking about. I think we're just saying, you know, that you know, birth control should not be a luxury item. It shouldn't be something you can only get if you can afford, right? Because if you can't afford the birth control, how can you afford to raise a child? Like that's another, you know, and, and that child, 
society, we're going to pay the cost, right? So we're going to subsidize or we're going to have to help. And so what we really, it's about talking about is really just strengthening, right? Our, our fiber and who we are. And I think this is just a policy that just, it makes sense. It makes sense on so many levels. I think the time has come. I think, you know, there's good public support. Um, I mean, we only have until August 25th. I want to get back to the petition because I want to make sure your listeners know where to go to get that. So um, I just want to talk about the fact that, you know, it's a 30 day campaign. It ends on August 25th. Any, you know, woman, can sign obviously any Canadian resident or citizen can sign this petition so you know we of course of course we talk about it being a women's health issue most women we don't have to talk about too much they said yes I agree with this and if we're not doing it for ourselves we're doing it for our daughters we're doing it for our granddaughters we talk about you know historically where we've been and we talk about our ancestors but sometimes you think about our descendants and what would they have wanted us to do given the context of everything that's happening in the world today so so obviously women can sign and we talked about men I think again have been you know have not been brought into this conversation, you know, when I do work at my clinic, we often would do information sessions on, you know, longer acting forms of contraception, and we would do group sessions. And oftentimes, our patients would bring in, you know, their male counterparts, either their, their partners, their husband, uh, husbands, you know, even their fathers. And I used to love having men in the audience, because they were so interested in this, because they didn't know anything about birth control and how it worked. And they were fascinated. They're like, Oh, my God, they would ask all the questions. And so I loved it when I had a man in the audience, because I knew, he was going to ask all the right questions because he was so interested in this and he had never been invited into the conversation. Mm. So we would invite all men to go and sign this, you know, to sign this petition, not necessarily because it affects you directly, but it affects people that you love, right? So whether it's your your partners, you know, whether it's your daughters, like whether it's, you know, your sisters, whoever it is, right, they're going to benefit from it. And the other thing is that, you know, youth can sign this petition as well, right? Mm. So you don't have to be 18. As long as you have an email address and you're a Canadian resident, you can sign because, you know, youth, again, are, you know, when we look at historically the, the segments of the population that are gonna have trouble affording this, but also an unintended pregnancy would have the hugest impact on them. It is the youth. And so really, I think they need to stand up and sign up because this is something that's going to affect them as well. Um, and, you know, so you can find the links on projectempower.ca, which is our website. Um, if you search petition contraception Canada, it would probably show up as well. Uh, but you only have until August 25th. And we really do want to st- show a strong show of support. And Alberta has shown up. I am so impressed with this province. You know, people, I think, think of us as a certain type of thinking. And I, I think hillbillies, to- that's what they think. They think we're right wing hillbillies. <laughs> Yeah. And I think we're so much more than that, you know, not to saying that, Big you know, time. to our rural counterparts that, yeah, like there's an ideology there and we, we respect different, you know, perspectives and all those types of things, but, you know, Alberta is actually a leader when it comes to contraception, right? Like, you know, when I look at like, you know, utilization rates of certain types of contraceptives that are, you know, more sort of, uh, I guess, they're more effective and they're, you know, a little bit more expensive up front, but it, it shows that this is a more sophisticated, you know, uh, climate that we're in. I see like usage rates in Alberta are really high compared to the rest of the country. So, so there is something that's happening here, right? So I think we really are the heart of empowerment, right? We all really are the heart of sort of this birth control movement. And I think, we you know, we need to re- redefine ourselves as that. Yeah, no kidding. I, I there's there's like an interesting. I wouldn't try to argue this too hard, but there's an interesting pro life angle to this as well. Yeah. I think for some people, their religious beliefs like it's like no condoms, full stop. No birth control, full stop. That's fine. They're entitled to their own personal beliefs and how they apply those to their own personal lives. But it strikes me as a pretty obvious and safe conclusion to reach 
that uh, an initiative like this would decrease quite likely the number of abortions in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we talk about, you know, there's obviously a lot of people who support it, who's not supporting this policy. Right. So, and I don't, I don't know if they don't support it or, you know, what, you know, maybe it's just a re-education. Right. So, so, you know, we talked about oftentimes, you know, when we have sort of the anti-abortion, you know, the pro-life movement, you know, what they're trying to do is really reduce the number of abortions and, and the reproductive rights movement. Sometimes they come to clash, but this is one where we can actually get together because, you know, if, you are really genuine, really authentically genuine in your intention to reduce the number of abortions we perform in this country, let's say this is something that you know, you personally feel would be important to do, then by definition, you must be pro birth control, you must be pro this policy, because the number one thing that is shown to reduce the number of abortions we'll perform in, you know, is when you make access to birth control universal. So that there is no hoops that any woman or person who can get pregnant needs to jump through to access it. So they don't need to prove their status. They don't need to prove their income level. They don't need to be, you know, paying tuition fees and being a student and then getting the benefits that way. There are no hoops to pass through. Everyone who wants contraception will get it in this country. And so that would be the number one strategy to reduce abortion. So I really feel like, you know, if you're truly against abortion, you need to get behind this policy because it, it will reduce the number of abortions in this country. The other sort of, you know, uh, pushback we have sometimes we talk about free birth control is sort of the, are we promoting, you know, just, you know, free sex and everyone, you know, and I, you know, I have to reframe that again and say that, you know what, you know, birth control is actually not about sex. It's not about sex, right? The decision of who and when to have sex with or how many people, whatever, those conversations are best had in families, right? So, you know, have those conversations in your families, talk about your values, talk about what's important to you, talk about what concerns you have with your children. That is a conversation to be had in families. You know, birth control is about having a reproductive life plan and everybody deserves access to a reproductive life plan without barriers. So again, it shouldn't matter how much money in your you have in your bank account that you should be able to access that life plan. Um, so I think we need to reframe that as that, you know, birth control is just, I ask my patients this, these questions, you know, when do you actually want to be pregnant? How important is it for you not to be pregnant in, until you're ready? So it becomes goal setting. And I'm telling you for the girls and the women that live in vulnerable situations, they feel very disempowered. And even to ask that question, you know, oftentimes when I ask, you know, these girls who have these circumstances, they just look confused and because nobody's ever asked them that question before and they don't even think it's their choice to make mm. until they're asked and they're like well no of course i haven't had one young woman tell me oh yes i, I want to get pregnant in the next year they've always said no 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 not not now when i'm in my 20s when i've got a job when i'm more stable and i'm like okay so if this is what you're telling me here's a method of contraception that can you know i can give you a 99% chance you will reach that goal you will not get pregnant in the next 5 years but that method of contraception is expensive because we know the most popular forms of birth control are not the most effective they are the cheapest so the top 3 forms of contraception in canada are condoms the birth control pill and withdrawal and those are not the most effective methods the really effective methods are the ones that are longer acting so you pay for that money up front so let's say for an iud you pay the 500 it's super effective 99 for five years but that's 500 up front that's a lot of money for a lot of people yeah and so they end up choosing stuff that just they can afford or whatever they can afford at the time but again that's not ideal for what their goals are 
And so they're going to live this, you know, life of, you know, I had this goal and I didn't reach my goal and I got pregnant and, you know, an unintended pregnancy can really kill your vibe, right? If you're going through life and you're enjoying and you're trying to be your best thing. And then you have this, like, it can be devastating, right? It can be like, there's emotional like costs to that, right? There's, so I just feel like it just, it makes sense, right? It just really makes sense. I, Again, I think I, you know, I, I can talk about this all day long. I have a TEDx talk if you guys want to hear more about Noticed some that, of the patients yeah. that I've talked about and how I've been inspired to sort of, you know, make this movement. Um, but, you know, I'm not just doing it. Obviously, it's not this is not about me. This is not about my family. This is about the patients that I see. But it's also about those patients that I don't see all across Canada that are living the very same circumstances as well. Uh, just to be clear, when you say withdrawal as a method of birth control, not, not to be crude, you're talking about pulling out, right? Yeah, my patients like to call it the pull and pray method. And I do say to them, I said, yes, it is user dependent. How good is he at his pulling and how good are you at your praying, right? Like, yeah. And we actually joke about it because <laughs> it is, you know, that, you know, sure, you know, maybe it'll, you know, it's about a 20, like, so let's say for a thousand users who use that method, you know, after a year, you know, we're going to see about 270 of them pregnant. So it's about a 30% failure rate. So what I sort of say is, you know, that might be great for someone who says, you know what, I want to get pregnant in a year. And if I get pregnant sooner, it's no big deal. I go, you know what? Yeah. Use that method because for you, you know, your needs are short term. And if you were to get pregnant, it wouldn't be devastating for you. Right. But if you're a young teen and you're 18, 19 and you're registered at university and you're, you know, just starting your courses, you know, withdrawal for you is not going to be the best method for you to reach that goal, because I'm assuming in that situation, you're not going to want to get pregnant for a number of years. And so in that situation, you know, these longer acting, more effective methods would be more appropriate for those goals. And I think that's where medicine is kind of going to just as you know, as a bigger, broader picture, is that we're getting away from system kind of goals, what we're looking at is patient centered care, what is relevant and important to this patient, what goal is relevant to this patient. And so a conversation about contraception always starts with questions. You always have to question and ask your patient, what are your goals in life when it comes to your childbearing? Like what, what do you want? Ideally think about that. And then let me use some science and innovation and medical technology to help you reach that goal. I am just your coach. I'm not the person who's going to tell you when you need to get pregnant, how many children you need to have any of those things. Those are your decisions to be made, but I'm here as that person to help support you in reaching those goals. And that exercise is hugely powerful because that's what really sparks this empowerment mindset for a lot of young girls and women it starts with reproduction first you know it's not by accident that you know the birth control pill came out in the 1960s originally we talked about so it you could not um sell it for contraception so they had to say that this was a pill that was used to treat painful periods that Uh. was the original sort of indication and women are not you know women are intelligent beings you know they all developed period problems and went to their doctors and demanded this pill this is what happened right so so i think you know we just need to take a look back at where we are now as a society right we we've had context we've had histories and stuff but what policies define us as a people Right. And I think this policy is one like with 83 percent support, you know, that defines us as a people. Right. And I think it's a simple policy. It's a simple policy that will help so many Canadians. So I would really urge all your listeners to make their voices heard, to, you know, get their names on this petition. We want this strong show of support to take to the government. We're hoping that on World Contraception Days, September 26, we want a member statement in the House of Commons that will affirm this policy. That is our best case scenario. But we need the public's help to do this. Right. So if this is something that you're thinking about for yourself, for the people you love, you know, for your, you know, for your children, your grandchildren, your descendants, 
independence, you know, if this defines, I think, you know, and as Albertans, I think, you know, or and your listeners, I guess, across the country, right? But, you know, we really are the leaders here. And I think, you know, I, I'm so proud of that. I'm so proud of the work that we've been doing in this province. Um, I see Real Talkers just off the, you know, the live chat as as we speak in real time, Brian and, and Kevin and others are saying that they've all just signed the petition. They said it was fast and easy I love, to do. I love, when you say dudes, I go, dudes, I love you, dudes. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Thank you, Kevin there and you Brian. You well, know? yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is something that like the average person can, I mean, th- this just to me, I like when you're talking about empowerment. Uh, I, I, to me, this is a matter of dignity. Uh, it just makes sense. Like you said, it just makes sense. Our health policy needs to make sense. I don't want to drag other issues into this conversation and create red herrings and smoke screens and all that. But like, you know, why don't we cover dental health in Canada? We understand that. Why don't we, you know, a lot of people, um, and I think in good faith in the chat are saying, well, why don't we cover this, that, or the other? Why would we cover yeah. this before that? It doesn't have to be a competition. We don't have to choose between helping diabetics cover some of their costs and helping, you know, half of our population have access to healthcare in this context. I think that that's something yeah. that we can have informed conversations about both at the same time. Well, yes. And I agree. I, I agree with all of your listeners. Ideally, you know, this should be like all prescriptions should be covered. Cost should never be an issue, whether it's for a diabetic or for a woman wanting contraception. I think the only difference we see here is that, you know, it's where health and human rights intersect right mm. and so you know we have to start somewhere right we have to just start somewhere you know you know the what about argument i think is a great one for you know future like let's keep going we're not going to stop here you know we're not going to say okay you know we cover contraception and that's going to be enough for health equity in this country obviously there's going to be more advocacy that needs to be done and, and to make sure that all all Canadians get access to their medications for their health, whether it's for contraception or for their diabetes. But we need to start somewhere, right? We just need to start and we get that ball rolling. And so if that's something that you believe in, so if you're a listener who's saying that I believe that, you know, diabetics should get their meds covered, well, you should go sign this petition because this is going to start that ball rolling about, you know, that we need access to medications as well. We've done a great job of making sure that, you know, access to, you know, healthcare is universal, that it doesn't matter how much money you have in your pocketbook to access a doctor or a medical clinic or emergency room. Uh, And we need to make that same, you know, movement with prescriptions, right? But we need to start somewhere. I have so much respect for your passion, Doc. And I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to us this morning about this. People can sign that petition. Like you said, they've got a, a week left to do it, but why wait? It, it takes less than a minute. Yeah. Just do it today. Uh, the and link- if you want to be a champion, get your friends to, do, you know, like be our champions. You know, sure. I think that you're probably not old enough, Ryan, but there was this commercial back in the day and it was a woman who had tried some amazing shampoo and then she told five friends and they told five <laughs> friends and so on and so on, you, you know, and this is where we're at right now. We have, you know, Leslie, we're at seven days, you know, and so if you want to be a real champion, which I feel like your listeners, you know, are really tuned into this, right, is to not only sign, but, you know, get 20 of your best friends to sign as well and get them to get 20 of their best friends to sign and let's show a really strong support from Alberta. I think, you know, again, I would be really proud to take this petition back to, to Ottawa and show that, you know what, you know, you guys need to just challenge, you know, just even regions and how we think about, about, you know, what's important for us as a society as well. Yeah. 4,800 signatures and counting, um, like more than a third of them, uh, are from Alberta, which is no, obviously you're from Alberta too, but still it's, it's better than like, come, I was, you know, you get your heart in your throat, you scroll down and hope you don't see like six, from Alberta. So uh, I know that this is an engaged audience. We say it's the most engaged talk show audience in the country, doctor. And uh, I just want to let people know. So the link is in the live chat. It'll be in the show notes for the podcast and YouTube. And, and then even easier, if you're out walking your dog listening to this right now, just open up your phone, just Google petition E 
4516. Petition E-4516, and it'll take you right to the page from there. All right, here it and is. And it is a two-step process. Sorry, I'm just going to say, they have to, you register email, you get a link, and then you have, and so once you link your email, that's when your vote counts. Perfect. Good stuff. Um, she is a recipient of the uh, uh, Coming School of Medicine at the University of Calgary Alumni of Distinction. She's received the recognition of excellence from the Canadian College of Family Physicians. She's won the Legacy Award from the Calgary Board of Education. She's a recipient of the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. She's been named a woman of vision with Global Calgary, an immigrant of distinction, uh, the Sharon Carey Community Leadership Award from Bow Valley College and from the India Canada Association of Calgary, an outstanding service award. We've been joined by Dr. Rapinder Tour. Much respect, Doc. Thanks. Great talking to you, Ryan. Yeah, you as well. Boom. I'm on on board 100%. How can you kind of like, I understand, I don't want to say just like, how can you not be? Because maybe someone would have their own personal reason that this isn't for them and they're not personally going to support it. And that's totally fine. That's Mm -hmm. your right. That's your choice. But generally speaking, as a civilized, empathetic, forward thinking, evidence based society, which Mm -hmm. we like to think that we are in Canada most of the time. How could you not? It's 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 crazy. And I'm just listening to her talk and like I'm not a doctor and I had to kind of brush up on my sex ed skills before we had the good doctor on today. But like, guys, we should be supporting women, not only with like reproductive rights and and contraception, but in all areas, like like just in in a life journey, what women go to go through compared to men, like just emotionally, hormonally, their phases of life post uh pre-birth during birth postpartum all these things like we should be bearing the brunt of this and it kind of pales in comparison what what we have to go through and i was just looking at some of the numbers like we all know like sperm compared to eggs like the numbers are just way off like women produce like one a month unless you're getting like hormone injections men when we ejaculate it's like anywhere from 100 to like 300 million or 30 million sperm. So like we should be supporting them 100% on this and and letting them choose what they want to do with their bodies when they want to have a kid and and they should be getting free contraception. Same way with menstrual rights. Like I believe that stuff should be in every bathroom. I noticed some people that were commenting on that saying, you know, tampons, pads, women's, you know, like basically health supports should be covered. It should be like tissue Um, paper. Like why is it not? And I get get the contraception is different. It's a pharmaceutical. It should be behind a counter. But this stuff should be accessible and free for all women. Yeah. Hey, but it it seems like this is an... an appropriate time it feels like an appropriate time we've had some of you reach out to us and ask if the show is going to comment or take a position on um, an on the record comment that was made by an Edmonton broadcaster on Mark Connolly's CBC morning show a couple of days ago I'm talking about Jason Greger who's launching uh, with some of his colleagues a a new sports AM radio station these were the guys that were basically all cancelled well that's kind of a loaded word to use right now but their station shut down at TSN a while ago the shows were cancelled they weren't cancelled the shows were cancelled they weren't cancelled And so, Mark Connolly, if you've missed it, I'm sure you did not miss it. I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, We did want to address this. Um, Mark Connolly basically asks why there's no female hosts on the new sports station. And Gregor uh, goes on this big, long answer. And and I know that he's publicly stated he feels like people are taking him out of context. Uh, But basically, at the end of the day, he says that there weren't uh, female broadcasters to consider in Edmonton. There, there really weren't anybody to hire. Um, he's he's hired women in past, but at this point, it just wasn't there. And he's heard from people that women don't need to hear their sports from a woman. So, quote, 
it doesn't matter, uh, which the, those three words, it doesn't matter, are the ones that will haunt him um, and, and kind of tough timing with the launch of this radio station. So I'm not going to sit and comment on it. I'll have my own thoughts on it. But I do want to let you know that next week on Wednesday's show, that's August 23rd, and there's a reason for the delay, uh, Claire Hanna is going to join us. She's uh, uh, a former, by the way, member of Team Canada's women's volleyball team, mm-hmm. um, and she's now killing it in broadcasting with TSN out of Ottawa. She's currently, uh, she's over in Australia right now, so the time zones are kind of messed up, but she's yeah. covering the FIFA Women's World Cup. Uh, Claire's going to join us next Wednesday, and we're going to talk about it. We're just going to have a real conversation about what it's been like for her, trying to forge her path in broadcasting, and what she's noticed around her, what it's like to be around male athletes, uh, what she makes of the comments, and uh, we encourage your feedback on that as well. So it is on our radar. That is a story that we're happy to talk about. I know that some of you, you know, it, it may not make us some friends in Edmonton, but it's certainly a legitimate uh, conversation to be had and, and now feels like the right time to talk about it. We're going to update a couple of other stories that are on our radar in just a second. I wanted to let you know that this show is supported by our friends at California Closets. When you think of California Closets, you no doubt are, are well aware of their reputation. Maybe you have a friend or a family member that started with a, a free design consultation with them and saw it all the way through to completion. Custom closets, storage solutions for the entire home, absolutely stunning craft a total game changer. Well, we wanted to let you know that California Closets is now doing more and more work in folks' garages. Kind of the overlooked part of the house, if we're being honest, right? I mean, if your garage has looked like our, well, ours is a bad example, Johnny, because our garage is just a bar. But a lot of people's garages are, <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about my buddies here. You know who you are. You got extension cords all over the floor. You got your summer tires leaning up against the wall, which is kind of by the kids' inflatables and floaties. If you're going to go to the beach for the weekend, you're looking for it in the garage, but you can't find it because it's behind the jerry cans. And by the way, where are the batteries for my drill? Why not make the workhorse of the home work for you? Uh, Have a custom-designed garage storage cabinet and more built by the team at California Closets. You can get a free consultation today. It all starts at californiaclosets.ca. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food, they were at our house just yesterday, John, delivering Moses' food. We get deliveries every single week or every second week. Whenever we need it from this team, you can have the same experience. If you live in Calgary, Edmonton, Central Alberta, weekly delivery to those metro areas with minimum orders of $50. Why do we go with Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food? Why am I so proud to talk about them to you? Why do I encourage you to check out their quality raw food? Because we have seen the health impact of their products. We have seen the results, the proof of performance with our beloved family members, Moses and Monroe. You can go to the shop now link and check out their supplements. We're using lion's mane mushroom extract uh, for Monroe, our lab. Uh, We're including it in her rotation to help ease her anxiety. Monroe really deals with anxiety. Just a beautiful, beautiful pup. And we're finding that the lion's mane organic mushroom extract Uh, while a gut-friendly source of fiber that also provides benefits for senior dogs and overweight dogs is really helping Monroe with her anxiety. You can check it out today at granddog.ca. If you're more focused right now on feeding the humans in your family, our friends at Friesen Brothers want to put a couple of things on your radar. Number one, new peach pies. This is the time of year where you don't want to mess around and wait 
Don't delay your experience picking up a peach pie from our friends at Friesen Brothers. This is their latest masterpiece. You can check it out at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N.com. That's their website I'm showing you. Handcrafted peach pies baked fresh daily using 100% real peaches, nothing out of the can. Come on. And 100% Alberta flour as well. The ultimate treat to savor as summer winds down. There's more information at Friesen.com slash pies. There's got to be vegan uh, vanilla ice cream, yeah. Of course, yeah. Are you a are you a are you an ice cream on the peach pie guy, or are you just a straight Always up peach a scoop of ice cream? You got to have vanilla pie. bean on. ice cream, right? I don't even know why I asked that question. It's so obvious. Friends, we're almost ready to reveal to you our backyard makeover. Our friends at Eden Landscaping have done a remarkable job bringing our outdoor space to life. You can follow my wife Carrie Skelton on Instagram to see almost daily updates in her stories. It's been amazing dealing with this custom landscape builder. More than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. This, Our family's probably a lot like yours. I don't know your situation, but this is something that we took very seriously. Something we planned for a long time. Something that we financially prepared for for a long time. Now to see it all coming together, I can't even describe the feeling. Whatever your custom landscaping needs are, whether it's stone and woodwork, whether it's retaining walls, maybe a water feature, maybe you need some lighting, some accent lighting out there, front yard, backyard, or maybe it's just practical stuff like irrigation and drainage. They do it all at Eden Landscaping, and you can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Attaboy. I love Stephanie here. She's like, Ryan, you just mentioned walking your dog. I am literally listening right now while oh, walking my dog. <laughs> I love that. She's maybe streaming the uh, audio, Mixler. live audio on the Mixler yeah. audio app uh, presented by California Closet. Stephanie, shout out to you. Uh, that's great. We are paying attention to a couple of stories, and, and, um, and some of these are, are, quite frankly, gut punches. Mm-hmm. And uh, we wanted to update a story. This was, this was one that was making national news, and for all the wrong reasons, uh, out of our home city of Edmonton. Earlier this week, Edmonton police had asked the public for assistance in identifying a man uh, that as you're about to see, uh, we're going to show you some of the video. So this is not appropriate for kids. Uh, we're going to show you what uh, a portion of what a Muslim family endured when uh, a 29 year old man. We know who he is now, uh, basically absolutely verbally assaulted them and then exposed himself Uh, There was a minor present, by the way. He exposed himself to a child, uh, and he's now facing charges. But in case you're one of those that don't know what we're talking about, here's what went down in Edmonton last weekend. Get the fuck out of here! Take a video, yeah, take a video. My dad would fucking kill you! (laughs) You fucking old bitch! خلاص بقى خلاص تعال I got you. I got you on the video. I got you. I got you. All right. So 
that's the point where they let him know that they've got him on video and he, and he exposes his genitalia to them. Um, the family telling people in that video, by the way, was uh, courtesy of the uh, Instagram account Yag Wave. That um, seems to get like all the video of all this kind of stuff. In they, Alberta they don't these need days. us hyping them up. They got it. yeah, but yeah, you know, I want to credit it where credit <laughs> yeah. is due. Um, the Edmonton police have confirmed that 29-year-old Thurman Britsky, Brightsky. Uh, has been charged with three counts of uttering threats as well as an indecent act. And the EPS hate crimes unit is also recommending that Section 718.2, uh, this is the Criminal Code of Canada, be applied in this case, allowing the courts to consider increased sentencing when there is evidence that the offense was motivated by hatred. Uh, the complainants, this family, have been offered support through EPS Crime and Trauma-Informed Support Services. This reportedly all started, this family minding its own business, mm-hmm. um, the mom uh, in the family wearing hijab, uh, and that's apparently what set this guy off. Yeah. Um, he referred to them as effing Muslims, uh, at which point uh, the man started recording the video, and then that's a portion of that video. It goes on from there uh, that we showed you there. So uh, all I have to say about this is, number one, you know, you, you look and you see a situation like this, and you, uh, number one, the guy's got a lot going on, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the guy references, number one, my dad would kill you. Uh, yeah. The guy's 29 years old, kind of using the playground stuff. Like, my dad would beat you up. My dad can run fat. My dad would kill you. But the anger there, the seething anger that this guy feels, no wonder that family started recording. Yeah. No, and, and I would suspect, based on some emails that we've received to this show, not exclusively uh, from Muslim members of our audience, but many of them mm-hmm. over the past three years, tragically and very unfortunately, this is far from an isolated incident. Oh, no. And, and, and not just in Edmonton either. No. We've seen families targeted and killed. I think of the van attack in mm-hmm. Eastern Canada and Ontario. Uh, this is something that needs to be taken deadly seriously. And I'm grateful that the Edmonton police took this as seriously as they did. And I am grateful that members of the public, that EPS on Monday put out the plea to the public to let us know who this guy is. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday, they made Boom. the arrest. <laughs> Uh, despite his best efforts to, to uh, scrub his social channels, you won't I find saw, him yeah. online. Uh, I, I don't know what else there is to say about this, except for Buddy fucked around and he's about to find out. Well, you got to throw the book at him. And like, like you're saying, this stuff used to happen in dark corners and at night and at bus stations. And now this is someone obviously out for a run in the morning, early afternoon. Like this stuff is just happening you know, a block off of White Ave or in downtown in broad daylight in the public. It's pretty disgusting. I mean, we wanted to talk about it, but again, there's not really a, a, a second opinion to take here. This no. is totally disgusting and, and scary. You know, there was a minor there and he shows his penis. Like, I mean, what? I think he's going to he'll, he'll probably wind up on a sex offender registry for that. He's, he's ruined um, his life. You know, I mean, this is something that at any time that anybody Googles this guy's name, this is the very first thing they're going to find. And I don't feel sorry for him one bit. No. And I think that, you know, we don't necessarily sometimes on this show to state the obvious and then we can move on. Uh, not everything that we have on this show is a debate or hashing out both sides. No. Sometimes it's just us taking a position on something and ensuring that it sees the light of day. Yeah. Even but. if this wasn't racist, if it was just like someone berating someone and then showing their... Like, it's still, like it's, it's the, it's he the ticked, worst thing I've seen in a while. He ticked all the boxes. All the boxes. Like, he's racist, he's homophobic, he's Islamophobic. There's he's kids like, there. There's kids there's, there. Like, he basically ticked all the boxes this yeah. 29-year-old did. Thurman 
Breitsky. Uh, a lot of you are saying that I'm not sure that this guy's dad's actually going to be proud of him at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ryan says your dad's probably actually pretty embarrassed of you, bud. Uh, <laughs> we talked yesterday, and uh, and this is this cost of living uh, stuff. It, it, it kind of weaves in on a couple of different fronts, and I'm grateful that Dr. Tour brought that up today because this is something that's becoming more and more relevant to Canadians of all demographics like we're talking young people we're talking retirees people living in cities people living in more rural communities yesterday we talked to tristan hopper of the national post why he thinks that pierre poliev is enjoying such a surge in popularity uh, you can check out that interview that was just yesterday uh that was the 16th our august 16th episode of real talk he, he talks about how more and more young Canadians, uh, Canadians, let's say under the age of 29, uh, 25, are starting to to consider more conservative approaches to governance, more conservative policies on things like finances. And, and I know we're going to get messages from some of you that say, look at this, we got conservative governments that spend bigger than liberal governments. We got conservatives running deficits and we can get into all of that. But the party and it's worked for decades at a provincial and federal level, parties have established themselves, conservative parties, that is, as the, the, the better equipped to deal with or to manage your finances. And people buy into it. I mean, in the most recent provincial election, we heard people talking about, oh, I like where the NDP stands on this, but I just don't know where the economy's at right now. We got I think we got to go UCP. And that's like the biggest thing. That's like the biggest objection, probably, that the NDP in Alberta and the other opposition parties that are not conservative in other provinces have had to fight against. Well, now the federal government's in the same situation. And the Trudeau liberals have a real, well, they've got a number of real issues on their hands, and that's one of them. It even came up yesterday in our conversation with Mark Doran. I mean, we're talking about wind and solar. We're talking about Alberta's energy future, Canada's energy future. What a great conversation that was. Hey, why don't we go to the wake-up call? This, this was like 30 seconds from Mark, uh, who's the founder of the Polluter Pay Federation. He's talking about orphan wells, oil and gas infrastructure. And this is a guy, by the way, that came on and planted his flag. In the first five minutes of the interview, he says, I love oil and gas. He's worked in oil and gas for decades but he gave us a reminder, and it was a bit of a wake-up call, to be honest, about how much aging infrastructure there is underneath us everywhere. Back-to-back, back, you've said on this show, I love oil and gas, yep. and you've said our oil and gas is not ethical. It's true. I mean, I love the industry. That's real the, talk. You know, so you know, here's the other thing. We've got 460,000 holes in the ground in this province that penetrate groundwater. Most of them are going to leak gas to atmosphere in the future. Um, you know, we talk about removing concrete from the base of, of, of wind turbines, but guess what? We've got oil well cement that's not going to last in these wells and pipe that's going to corrode away in these wells. And there's lots of urban wells, at least 1,400 in town. There's hardly any town or city in this province that doesn't have oil or gas in it at one point. So we've got these abandoned wells, and abandoned means sealed and no longer productive. They're, they're in our backyards, they're in our school playgrounds, they're in our fields, they're in our parking lots, and most of them are leaking. <laughs> How is that for a wake-up call? That, that was a, like a punch in the face when he said that to me, because you know we're all worried about orphan wells and whatever, but when he started those visual images that we showed, but they went through my mind. Of, yeah. You He's know, talking about how the concrete... We can't see them, but they're in, they're in schoolyards, they're in backyards, yeah. they're in parking lots. Concrete's going to fail, gases and, are going to leak. And they're leaking. 
So it's prompted more and more people, I think, to start taking a long, hard look about what is going to power our society moving forward. And obviously, the tone, the message that the Premier of Alberta, Daniel Smith, is taking is accurate. Alberta will need natural gas, especially with phasing out coal-fired power. Uh, and, 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 you know, I think that that conversation to a certain degree is becoming obfuscated, like people are being are, are being tricked or some people are being tricked into thinking that they have to choose between a reliable source of energy through the year, natural gas and wind and solar, which is not the case, not obviously. And we've done a ton of shows on this and people can check them out. But there are numbers released by the Consumer Price Index yesterday that we can't ignore. And we wanted to show this to you, Real Talkers. This is from this is uh, Andrew Friesen, who's a data scientist. And he says, per the CPI report, this is the Consumer Price Report Index. This is how people figure out things like where inflation's at and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he says, these are the electricity rate hikes, the, the, the actual like real dollars and cents. These are the hikes province by province comparing July with one year earlier. So you got Newfoundland, it's up 6%. Nova Scotia's up 4%. It's up across the country, everywhere except for Manitoba, by the Saskatoon, way. Pretty PEI, big 5%. Saskatchewan, 12%. Uh, BC, 2%. Uh, Yukon, 6%. Alberta, 128% increase in the cost of electricity year over year from last July this to this summer. And, you know, I, I, I read into this when I saw it yesterday. I screenshot the graph. I was going to say it to you. And then I woke up this morning. You had it in our Slack already. Yeah. The exact numbers. But and I was trying to read into it. Why is it? Is this price gouging? It has to be. But then I look and, you know, some of the people who are saying why the increase is so big is that, you know, Alberta in the last five or six years has invested so much, not only in oil and gas, but in renewables, in wind and solar. And we need to pay for that. But to me, I. 128% does not make sense. Well, this provincial government's got to figure something out and fast. Yeah. And we're seeing Canadians uh, across the country um, basically crying out for assistance. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory sense. Uh, there's a gal that, that is on TikTok under the handle Homesteading Millennial. Uh, we understand her to be 22 years old. This is about a 90-second clip that we wanted to play. This is This is just one person. But this is the face. This is a face of exactly what we're talking about. I want to know how the hell people in Canada are even living. I generally consider myself a positive person. I'm like resourceful, but some stuff happened around the property. And like, well, I know I'll never truly be homeless. Like I have family to live with and, you know, like I have options like I'm luckier than a lot of other people, but how the hell is anyone existing in Canada? Like, I just, I feel trapped and like, like I just got a good job. I start in September, but even with that job, it pays less than 40 grand a year. And it's a job that requires like education. And even on that job, like I still can't do shit. I can't buy anything. I can't afford the rent these days. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just feeling so much despair and I know I'm normally like really really positive but I'm just like how is everyone else and are you okay because the answer is probably no and I know I'm lucky I don't I don't have kids I have like good family that will support me but I just I feel like I can't stay here but I can't move anywhere else 
can't move anywhere else, she says. And she goes on to talk about how anywhere else there are its own set of challenges. Anywhere else, some of the realities remain around high rent costs and everything else. Fuel's up. Utilities are up. Insurance is way up in the province of Alberta. We mean way up. And it's impossible, I think, not to be moved by yeah. that person that's uh, on, on TikTok. If you want to shoot her a note, send her a note of encouragement. She's at Homesteading Millennial. And she's getting a TikTok. ton. Yeah, it's on TikTok. It's on Instagram. It's on it's on Twitter. That's I'll never, desperation. I'll never call it X. It's on Twitter this morning yeah. when I wake up. But man, you watch her talking. And you know, some of the comments are like, you know, well, you got to pull up your bootstraps and, you know, you shouldn't have got a liberal arts degree. They don't even know what her education what is. But the about. point is, like, and I was watching a Netflix documentary on this and Obama was talking about this. Like, we have so many things nowadays. We've got phones and TVs and they're all cheap and, and easily accessible. But the things we really need, <laughs> like energy and, you know, housing, it's monstrously higher and expensive than it ever has been before. And I, I'm watching her talk and, and she's saying, I'm grateful. I feel grateful as well. We have a job we both love. We're pretty comfortable. We're not rich by any means, but like I, I talk to people all the time, friends and family who are just scared out of their minds. And when she said that thing about, I don't have kids, thank God, that was the biggest gut punch for me. Because yeah, if you want to have kids or not, whatever, but if you're being forced to choose because of the way the economy is because of how high your bills are because you can't find a home for a reasonable cost that that just really when she said that i was like wow cuz these are these are challenges these are questions these are uh, things that uh, you know <laughs> past generations never had to deal with you hear you hear all the boomers and everyone talk about how oh, you know i bought a house right out of college and it, yeah i mean it's not to say people didn't have their challenges but i just i i just don't think right now that it's you know people can't afford first of all a lot of people can't afford post-secondary education no right um, in the first it's, place it's, it's why when we spoke with our dear friend julie Rohr before she passed and we, we talked about how her legacy part of her legacy uh, would continue a scholarship was something that was very important to another her to thing remove that's way up financial barriers from people and then you look and you get an education but then rent is out of control and groceries are out of control more people are using food banks now than Power ever before bills out of control. you know and so people are wondering now i mean i saw sharon earlier in our chat today say that she knows two people that had their power cut off this week uh ma right now is in our chat says that their 35 and 40 year old kids have both moved back home uh says my daughter with us and my son with his in-laws um, others are just wondering you know i mean you know adam for example great to see him in the chat says employers also need to review what they're paying people, Adam says, 40,000 years, not a living wage. And it hasn't been for a long time. Uh, you know, Ryan's wondering why are food prices continuing to rise in Canada? I mean, all, you know, mm -hmm. these are these are questions that we endeavor to ask uh, on this show and to find answers to. I, I, I found that like earlier this week, uh, it kind of sucked, as a matter of fact, to, to figure out, you know, why are electricity prices so mm -hmm. high? And we talked to an expert and we find out that basically there's absolutely nothing that anybody can do about it. The nothing. prices are high because big corporations are making those prices high and mm -hmm. because nobody's holding them accountable. It's really scary. And Ben in here says, age-old question, <laughs> why is everything up? Yeah. And then I get it, inflation. Things are always going to rise in price. But the correlation between like a living wage and the prices going up has gotten way out of whack. And uh, like I said... I. 
it's not just listeners. I, I know people, like you just said, who are like, man, I can't pay my power bill. I'm going to have to get a late charge. I'm going to have to yeah. wait another two weeks. I, I can't afford a house, but I live, I have two kids and we live in a small townhouse. People and are we making need a tough choices, home. man. And, you know, we need a bigger car. We need a, we need an SUV or a minivan and we've got, you know, a sedan and they, nobody can afford any of it. Yeah. We're in part talking about this because we want to remind you that this is an opportunity, this show, this community for you to get your message out. We want to know how you're approaching this, how you're managing this, how this is impacting you. What are the real life, real world stories? You know, we've got an email here from Brendan who wrote in, who's, who's talking in particular about this moratorium on on Alberta's renewable energy sector. But he's talking uh, in part about what it's doing to people's jobs. He's talking about the fact that a lot of people, this is going to mean unemployment for them. For a lot of people, this is loss of opportunity. These are people, skilled tradespeople in many circumstances that have probably been looking for something stable for a long time. And it's yet another kick in the teeth. But we cannot ignore and will not ignore the fact that nobody in Canada is even close, no other jurisdiction to Alberta's uh, skyrocketing energy costs the electricity costs in particular up nearly 130 percent in one year that is 10 times the next closest province 10 times the second place and this is not a list that you want to be first place on talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can send us an email these conversations are presented by real talk sponsors like our friends at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park and because of the weather because of how beautiful it's been and because of miracle treat day on august 10th we spent a lot of time talking about blizzards but i want to bring this back bring it back i want to bring it back to the signature stack burgers nobody in quick service restaurants does burgers better than dairy queen and in particular my recommendation today is the bacon two cheese deluxe it's the double dq signature stacker featuring a hundred percent seasoned real beef patties topped off with two different types of perfectly melted cheese applewood smoked bacon tomato onion lettuce pickles ketchup and mayo on a soft and toasted bun this is the burger that will turn your day around, I guarantee it. And you can find it at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Hey, if all this talk about employment has you thinking about making a move, or maybe you've been pounding the pavement looking for work for a while, if you're an electrician, or if you're an apprentice, or if you're just a self-starter with a history or big potential in sales, Kubi Renewable Energy would love to hear from you. You know Kubi, a full-service contractor for residential and commercial solar power systems. Well, they're currently hiring right now to add to their installation team and their sales team. They're working in BC, Alberta, Yukon, Northwest Territories, Saskatchewan, you name it. Commercial, residential, industrial, agricultural, one of the best things that they offer, they do all the paperwork for you. And they know a lot of these incentives inside out. So depending on where you live, there's a good chance you could get a nice chunk of change to apply toward your installation. It all starts with a free quote today by visiting kubienergy.ca. You know who else is hiring is our friends at Apex Automation. They're looking for engineers. If you're a PNG and you're sick and tired of your current job situation, you're not feeling challenged, you know for a fact that you're not reaching your full potential, check out the careers link at apexautomation.ca. 
That website is also where you can learn more about what they're doing in engineering, fabrication, automation. They are on the leading edge of industry, and they would love for you to join their team. Whether it's advanced process controls, remote terminal units, alarm management, autonomous vehicles and machinery, terminal management out on the coast, robotics, you name it, human machine interfaces. This stuff is fascinating. Apex Automation is the fastest growing automation firm in Western Canada for a reason. It's the way they treat their people. You can learn more about their corporate culture today by visiting apexautomation.ca. We're putting a call out to decision makers today. If you own, operate a small business, a big business, or maybe you work for a municipality anywhere in Alberta or Saskatchewan, we encourage you to take two seconds to check out local environmental services. You know, they got the front load bins. They do residential and industrial, commercial uh, recycling and garbage collection. But they're about so much more than that. They believe that communities deserve better, better service, better prices, more support for local causes. They can show you today how they can help when you visit localenvironmental.ca. And before we get back to the show, a quick shout out to our friends at Complete Care Restoration. This is the team that built our studio, and we are forever grateful for the craftsmanship and the professionalism that they displayed. If you find yourself in a tough situation, if you find yourself dealing with fire damage, flood damage, maybe you've discovered mold or asbestos as part of your renovation project at home, you maybe didn't see that coming, you're going to want to take two seconds today to get in touch with Complete Care Restoration. You can find them online under the Sponsors tab on our website or give them a call at 780-454-0776. That's Complete Care Restoration. They've got two thumbs up from all of us here at Real Talk. You talk about uh, fire damage. I was uh, spending some time with some friends of mine just last night uh, catching up, and they're uh, homeowners in Maui on the island, uh, in Mm -hmm. Kihei in particular. Mm -hmm. But hearing their perspective, they, they know people obviously that are personally completely devastated Uh, they know some people that are still missing uh near lahaina and uh it is unbelievable seeing what is happening there on that hawaiian island on the island of maui right now Mm -hmm. Uh, the death toll is into the triple digits i think now last i saw it was at 111 but they said to me last night and it's just a gut punch to hear it they said there's more than a thousand people missing they said forget about this you know 36 or 53 88 we've seen these numbers jump up they said this is going to be uh one of the most significant and deadliest natural disasters that Mm-hmm. The United States, uh, certainly that Hawaii and, and maybe that the world has ever seen. It is unbelievable hearing the stories of what's been happening there in Lahaina. Yeah, and we're seeing more and more video every day. I saw, yeah. you know, somebody was trying to exit out on the water in like like a boat but it was like a like like a paddleboat like a, not a canoe but bigger and and came across like a whole family, like five people, three kids, yeah. mom and a dad. And they had to get them all in the boat, and you're just seeing some of this video, and it's just coming out every day, and it's just horrible. And then now Yellowknife, you know, the evacuation's going on there, and it's just, yeah, a lot of the doom scrolling today just seems to be about wildfire and flood 
and all of that nature is unleashing on us right now. And how can you not <laughs> relate it back to everything we're talking about with energy and climate change all this week? So Yeah, I saw some really disturbing numbers as, as uh, our fellow Canadians uh, in Yellowknife and area are, are getting ready to leave. We're talking like almost 25,000 people. Yeah. Um, and no uh, this is a mandatory evacuation due to this encroaching wildfire. Um, I want to give credit to Brandy Morin, who's a member of our editorial board and a great friend of the show and award-winning journalist. Um, Brandy is, is doing advocacy on this right now, pointing out that flights, the price for flights, has been cranked up right now. People that were searching for flights to get out of Yellowknife, uh, I saw one in particular, Yellowknife to Calgary, that flight was listed one way at $4,700. That's $4,665 before taxes and fees one way to fly from Yellowknife to Calgary. Uh, they said that that flight would typically be, you know, five to $700 depending. Mm. And so, you know, these people are in an impossibly difficult situation, obviously a very stressful situation. Uh, and that's a story that we're going to be keeping an eye on. Did you just say they raised the cost of the flight? Sorry, I was reading the comments. Well, the... I don't know if I say they raised the cost of the flights. It sounded like the you cost said- of the flights went way up as demand went way up. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, that. they raised the cost of the flights. I guess it's forty seven hundred dollars yeah. one way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I'm Air Canada, WestJet, if I'm the Canadian government, for that matter, I mean, I recognize logistically what we're talking about here. But you've got to make it possible for people to get their families out of Yellowknife without incurring a tab of $20,000. Why not just like, sell more who flights? Who can even do that? Why not bring in more planes? Way. Why not bring in bus? And maybe they are. Instead uh, of just- But this is a developing story. And this is one right now where I just think, and you can follow Brandy on Twitter at Songstress28 to see what she's talking about. She says these jacked prices are, are through the roof right now. And she's calling out Air Canada in particular. These are the types of things that people don't forget. Not at all. You know, we remember when we were in our time of greatest need, what you did to, for your bottom line, for your shareholders. And mm-hmm. uh, well, this you're is talking about we'll certainly keep an eye on. You're talking about these airline companies going through hard times as well. People are going to remember Air Canada if they they didn't jack their rates, if they brought in more planes, if they gave a discount to people trying to flee, trying to get their family to another part of the country. So, yeah. yeah. Wanted to put on your radar, and I, and I saw a couple of you, I think, uh, in the chat. I apologize, I can't remember your name, saying, you know, here's another question I'd like. for. We, we, we dropped a little nugget at the very end of yesterday's episode. It had just been confirmed, uh, letting you know that on Monday, I'm going to be interviewing Take Back Alberta founder David Parker. This is one that's been a, a long time in the works, and I've seen a lot of you say, well, I'd love for Ryan to ask him this. I'd love for Ryan to ask him this. I have a list of questions uh, remember back in the day in school, Johnny, we had mm-hmm. full scap. Yeah. Remember there was like the the regular paper and then there was full scap. I think I could do like two pages back front <laughs> and back of gonna... full scap of questions for this guy. It's going to be an interesting conversation. I'm looking well, forward to it. And you can let us know what you would like to hear from him. We're going to do our best to fit in as many questions as we can and try to try to get to know a little bit what makes this guy tick. He's, he's kind of the mystery man. He's like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. They claim Take Back Alberta does that they got rid of Jason Kenney. They claim that they installed Danielle Smith into the office of premier and that they're well I'm not going to speak for him 
We'll see what he says. That's coming up on Monday's Real Talk. Also wanted to let you know, coming up on Tuesday's show, as we say goodbye today, also want you to circle your calendars. Paul McLaughlin's going to be joining us. He's the president of the Rural Municipalities of Alberta. That's the RMA. They've got a different take than a lot of others on this moratorium for wind and solar. Again, I won't speak for Paul, but he's probably going to come on here and say that it's a good thing. We'll ask him why. And then Claire Hanna, Wednesday, what it's been like coming up as a woman working in sports broadcasting. We'll stay committed to that real talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.